0: Well, it is a pleasure to be here with you guys today. I find it very appropriate um, that this week we're talking about wisdom and work because there were a lot of announcements and there's a lot of things that we're doing here at One Tribe, lots of needs for volunteers and for people to plug in uh, to support the work and the great mission uh, that's taking place here at One Tribe. And so uh, it seems appropriate that there's a lot of things in front of us uh, that we get to prepare for. Well, like Sean said, my name is Eric Cohn, and I've been in Kenya now for two and a half years, and I've been a member of One Tribe for about two years, uh, and it's a pleasure to be here today and continuing in our series of wisdom and specifically discussing the topic of work. Um, I think this is an area that touches every single one of our lives, even for you young people, you uh, students, uh, it touches every single one of our lives, and so it's a really important topic. For us to understand from a, a biblical perspective, um, I don't think anybody here has ever heard me before teach or preach, and so um, we'll see how this goes. Leaders, stay close to the front. Be ready to come up here and grab the mic if I get crazy up here. I'm actually I'm being very intentional. I'm holding a mic and I'm sitting because I am a very expressive person, and this is part of me disciplining myself. Take a seat. Don't be moving around the stage. Don't have your hands flailing through the air as you talk. And so this is for your good that I sit. It is for your good that I read my notes because we could go anywhere and everywhere. So um, I'm going to do that for you. Um, I'm really excited about sharing on this topic today, uh, wisdom and work. Uh, this topic is something that I'm very passionate about. And one that I think oftentimes is misunderstood within the context of our Christian life. Uh, Thankfully, we have the Word of God to help guide us uh, on how we are to think, behave, and believe about our work. But before we dive in, I want to give us a chance for some group participation. So you're just going to turn to people immediately around you, it could just be people on your small row of three, and I want you to just have a 90-second discussion about What is work? So I'm keeping it very simple. It could go many directions, your conversation, but what is work? So take 90 seconds with the people sitting next to you and discuss that. What is work? Great job, everyone. I saw some people dancing. Were you singing a Rihanna song? All I do is work, 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 work. All right, I would love to hear, just shout it out, popcorn style, like popcorn just kind of pops up. What is work? A blessing. A blessing. Work is a blessing. Work is tiring. Exhausting. Wait, say that again? I have no idea what Michelle just said. (laughs) Rewarding. What else? Keeps you out of trouble. Keeps you you busy. Yeah. Force times distance. We had some people Googling (laughs) what is work. (laughs) Opportunity. What was that? A role? Oh, growth, growth, yeah, growth. A A task or an activity done in exchange for something? So we probably had, oh, what was that? Money, work, yes, work provides. It gives us money to be able to provide for our family. I'm sure that throughout this room, we had so many different conversations about what is work. We probably got into, oh, work is what we do to earn a living, Uh, Work is doing anything that's difficult or hard or takes effort. Um, Work is tiring. Work is a blessing. Work is an opportunity. And so all across this room, we all have very different experiences with work. And we also all have a lot of common experiences with and around work. And so uh, you probably thought about roles that you have in work, whether you're a business leader you're a, you're a barista, you're a janitor, you're a mother, you're a father. There's all these different roles that can kind of fall into this category of work. And so we're broadening our definition of work, not just to mean it's our vocation, even though that is a significant part of our work. And we're going to focus pretty significantly on that aspect of work. But now that we've broadened that a little bit, I want to dive into some statistics around work. We spend more await time on Monday through Friday at or on our way to work than we do with our own families. There are studies that estimate we will spend one-third to upwards of half of our life working. And a significant other portion of our life is spent sleeping. Um... Unfortunately, global statistics in the workplace uh, on workplace engagement paint a pretty gloomy picture about people's experiences within the traditional workplace. Based on recent studies by a company called Gallup, work related stress is at an all time high. Employee engagement is at an all time low. Employee satisfaction is dropping to branch out of the traditional workplace, people across the globe feel more anxious, more depressed, more suicidal, more confused, and feel an overall sense of purposelessness. And much of this has to do with our relationship to work. So, who's looking forward to work tomorrow? (laughs) Yay, can't wait to go to that. I'm sure that throughout this room, uh, it's a complete mixed bag of our experiences in our, in our places of works and feelings regarding our vocations, uh, from people who love their jobs and feel a great sense of purpose and what they're doing, as well as people who hate their jobs, see no purpose other than to pay the bills, people who just can't wait to make it to Friday. But I want you all to know that all of these experiences and all these feelings we have around work are valid. Work is hard. There's brokenness within the workplace, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It doesn't have to be that way. For us as followers of Christ, it's important to align our perspective uh, with God's when it comes to this topic of work. How can we practice wisdom in our work? How can we uh, have deep, meaningful, and lasting purpose within our work, no matter what our vocation is? Before we can properly walk in wisdom and live out meaningful purpose in our work, we have to have a proper biblical theology of work. What is work? Why do we have work? Did God create work? Or is it a result of sin and brokenness? To develop an accurate biblical theology or Christian understanding of work, we have to understand it through this idea of the meta-narrative of scripture, the grander story. Meta-narrative, defined by uh, the Oxford Dictionary, is an overarching account or interpretation of events and circumstances that provides a pattern or structure for people's beliefs and gives meaning to their experiences. So when we're looking at work from a biblical perspective, we have to understand it from Genesis to Revelation, the grand story of Scripture. And that's our goal today, is to understand work from the perspective of the meta narrative of Scripture. A simple way to understand the grander story when we look at the Bible is to view it in four sections. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. When we look from Genesis to Revelations, we th- see, these, see these four stages of the story playing out. At a pretty grand scale, God begins in Genesis uh, with uh, the work of creation. God has created us to reflect His image through our work and enjoy dominion through our labor. Adam's fall, corrupted labor, it corrupted work. work has become unpleasant and as mankind and mankind must now deal with thorns and thistles and work through drudgery, risk, pain, and so on in our work. The fall has also corrupted humanity, has corrupted us so that people resist work through things like laziness. While others have been corrupted and now actually use their authority or their leadership to oppress others. But in the New Testament, we, will, we learn that Christ reverses the effects of the fall, thereby restoring labor as meaningful and significant before God. So let's look at each of these four uh, stages of the story in a bit more detail. So creation, Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 2, 15 says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is the first place we see work show up in the Bible overtly, even though God himself worked through his spoken word in creating all have created order. In Genesis 2:19. now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he called every living creature, that was its name. So Adam and Eve were even given the task of naming the animals. He gave them a task to put their, their attention uh, and their efforts into. In these passages, we see that uh, we were created to work. We were created for work. Work is good, created before the fall, that me, we may walk uh, and work in the fullness and the perfection that God himself spoke into existence. That sounds pretty different than a lot of our experiences with the work, doesn't it? But then something happened. The fall, Genesis 3. Adam and Eve were deceived and fell into sin, therefore breaking and corrupting all of creation. Work is now broken. Work is now hard and toilsome. Genesis 3, 17 through 19 says, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, don't read into that too much. Um, And having eaten of the tree of which I commanded uh, that you shall not eat of it, curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We see that from this point on, work is now toilsome, work is not pure as it once was in the garden. Not only does humanity rebel and make work harder, the earth itself has been affected by the fall. We now have drought, thorns, weeds, barren places, and so on. While work is still broken and marred by sin today, there's good news. There is hope for the difficulties that we face in our work and in our efforts. There is redemption. So phase three of the story, redemption, Genesis 3 through Revelation 20. Almost the entire Bible is dedicated to this idea of redemption. And it affects our work each and every day. God has chosen to create man, uh, man, men and women in his image to work and tend to his created order for his glory and for the betterment of mankind. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, "'Whatever you do, work wholeheartedly as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ.'" Not only are we called to do everything that we do to the best of our abilities, as if we were serving the Lord himself, because we are, uh, but even the great commission itself comes into play in our work. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our greatest work in commissioning is to make disciples. Whatever, whatever your vocation is, whether it's a pastor, a missionary, a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, an accountant, a business owner, a janitor, a barista, a house helper, a guard, a homemaker, a mother, a father, the list could go on. Our commissioning and our work is to make disciples. That is the purpose of our work. Remember, the apostle Paul himself was a tent maker, one of the greatest missionaries we've seen in human history. But he was a tent maker. He had a vocation. Work is worship. Work is mission. This is our biblical theology of work. Work is a part of God's redemptive plan for humanity and for all of creation. And finally, Stage four, when Christ returns and calls his children home, we have restoration. Revelations 21 and 22. So you'll see in our story, we have creation in the first two chapters. We have fall in the third chapter. And then we have restoration in the last two chapters. All this middle space is dedicated to the redemptive story, redeeming all things to himself. So in restoration from Revelation 21 through 22, um, the Bible does not say much about work and eternity to come, but we do know there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God will have work for us to do. The Bible says in Revelation 22:3, 3, his servants will serve him. So there's a dynamic of work and eternity to come. And that should be good news to us because at one point work was pure and perfect in the garden to be perfectly enjoyed. But here's the amazing thing, as we said, in heaven, we will never grow weary or tired, like we do here. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, from that moment on, work became burdensome for the whole human race. But in heaven, the curse will be lifted and work will no longer be a burden. Instead, it will be a joy. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it will be, but we'll be serving God, which is the highest honor imaginable and the greatest work and the greatest calling that we can have. So we see that work is in all four aspects of this grander story, this meta-narrative: creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Work was good and perfect and it and created in the beginning. Work has been broken and marred by the effects of sin in the fall. Work has a role to play in the redemption story of humanity. And finally, we see that work will eventually be restored to its perfect and rightful state in eternity to come. As we've been talking about throughout this wisdom series, uh, we are going to be looking at our relationship to work similarly to how we have looked at our relationship with wisdom. As Cephas shared a few weeks ago, we have three relationships to wisdom. We have the simple or the immature. We have the wise and we have the foolish. Matthieu showed us last week that we are all fools. Apart from God, we can do nothing and will speak, behave, and make decisions foolishly. She's laughing. Matthew didn't say it. The Lord said it through Matthieu. Um, we need God's wisdom in all areas of life. Otherwise, we will fall into foolish and destructive actions that perpetuate the brokenness of sin in our areas of work and influence. Again, just as Matthew said last week, our words matter. In the same way, our actions matter. In fact, our actions or our works are an outflow of our faith. To me, this is one of the hardest and yet good scriptures in the Bible. James 2, 18 through 26 says, after I fix my technology, it says, but someone someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called and he was called a friend of God You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That's a hard one. Work is or should be an outflow of our transformed hearts, souls, minds, and even bodies. Work with great purpose. We work with great purpose because of our salvation, because of our faith, not to earn our salvation or gain our faith. That is a key distinction to make here. The Lord has and is uh, changing us, and that changes what we do, how we do it, and why we do it changes everything. So we're going we're gonna to look at what does Proverbs have to share with us about wisdom in our work. So before we dive into our main passage here in Proverbs, um, this is a big word that I learned not too long ago. Um, but Proverbs are these things called maxims, uh, which describe how the world works Generally. That's how Proverbs was written. Occasionally, we all have experienced this, occasionally lazy and unwise people win the lottery, get something dropped in their lap. And so we're looking at this from the general rule or principle perspective, because we can all see where hard workers experience trouble and difficulty and where lazy people experience success and so on. So oftentimes, diligent people face drought, disability, other hard providences, uh, yet the general rule still applies. So this is the general rule. Those who work hard usually prosper. So that's this idea of a maxim and how all of Proverbs is written. So Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, go to the ant." O Sluggard, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your from your sleep a little a little sheep and a little a little sleep and a little slumber and a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So this has some very hard things to say about the sluggard. As I said before, we're going to apply this model uh, of our relationship to wisdom to our relationship with work. So we're going to look first at the sluggard or the simple and immature. Diligence is necessary for effective work and holiness, laziness is a life-destroying state. Wisdom does not, uh, wisdom goes to great pains to exhort us to learn from object, the object lessons of the sluggard. Proverbs twenty-four thirty through 32 says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down when i saw i reflected upon it i looked and received instruction so we have things to learn from the state of the sluggard sluggards are purposeless work can at times feel purposeless oftentimes because we don't apply this grander story this meta-narrative to the purpose of our work. Purposelessness leads to slothfulness. Comfort can lead to slothfulness and sluggardness. Sluggardness can manifest in us not being willing to move from where we are to where the Lord wants us to go. In Matthew Henry's commentary on Proverbs 24, he states that wise people or wise men profit more by fools than fools by wise men. For wise men will avoid the faults of the fool, but the fool will not imitate the virtues of the wise man. There are severe consequences for the sluggard. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 11, it says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness Not busy at work, but busy bodies. So let's look at characteristics of the sluggard. This is a super exciting talk, isn't it? This is so great. Yay, sluggard. Uh, Sluggards are lazy. They oversleep, practically. They oversleep, lack initiative, procrastinate, don't commit. They're self-righteous. They pursue only self-care with no purpose at the end of it. They have, they, they've rationalized their laziness. They seek ease, fast money, deceptive, restless even. In order to resist the sluggardness or slothfulness, we should be a people that pursue calling and purpose. Calling and purpose is far more powerful and important than Passion. Passion, much like our emotions, ebb and flow. They change, but our calling and purpose as followers of Jesus is unchanging. Passion can be good, but it can also be misleading, much like our hearts. we can have we can have uh, much like our hearts, we have to lead our passions, and the slothful person does not. So, If that's not enough of a downer for you, uh, we're gonna transition now to the second person in relation to wisdom in our work, the diligent, the wise worker. Diligence is a muscle that is strengthened with time and consistency. While a diligent person is a hard worker, they also know how to be smart in their work by being a good planner. A diligent person acquires opportunity through excellence in their work. They also stay faithful in the everyday tasks, and they're not easily derailed by obstacles. Finally, a diligent person is self-driven and knows how to lead themselves. Due to its uh, rarity in our culture today, I think diligence is a rapidly increasing virtue or value within the workplace diligence is a dynamic character trait which is a precious treasure worthy of cultivating proverbs 21 5 says the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty but those of but those of everyone who is hasty sure, surely to poverty poverty proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine 29 says do you see the man who excels in his work he will stand before kings he will not stand before unknown men. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen says, "He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows uh, frivolity—it's a fun word—will have poverty enough." And then Proverbs thirty twenty-five through twenty-six says, "The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer." The rock badgers are a, are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. And as we have already seen in Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler provides her supplies in summer and gathers her food in harvest. We've already seen that the diligent, does the opposite of the sluggard, the exact opposite, the antithesis of. So characteristics of the diligent wise worker, hardworking, again, this is just practically, on time, a person of their word, sets appropriate boundaries, produces excellent work, is faithful, is honoring they're future focused. They're not just immediate, instant gratification focused. They're a visionary, long term, seeking long term benefits. Focused on impact. Thinks others fir- first. Pushes through obstacles. Again, just like for us, our vision is far bigger than just get a paycheck. Our vision is the Great Commission, the work of making disciples amongst all nations and baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is a future-driven goal that will last for the rest of our life. Uh, People and things around them flourish. They improve processes, systems, relationships. Things around them grow and flourish. The the diligent work towards human flourishing and the redemption of all things. The the, uh, idolatrous worker seeks their own flourishing and even at the expense of others. Wisdom and work influences both how we will conduct ourselves and how we won't conduct ourselves. We we shouldn't avoid gathering with the body of Christ. We shouldn't be a liar, a cheater, a thief, and so on. So it impacts just as much what we will do as well as the things that we will avoid doing. This is the diligent worker. However, there's a third one. Our final example, will do whatever it takes to seek success and build their own kingdom, the idolater, the foolish worker. While Proverbs warns against laziness, some people go to the other extreme and put their careers ahead of the Lord, put their productivity ahead of the Lord. They are so intent on success that they neglect their families and God's gift of worship and rest through their work. Your career is no substitute for your relationship with God, which should come first. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes reminds us that the accumulation of wealth is vanity. You may be the fastest rat in the rat race, but when you die, you will leave all of it behind. So the idolatrous worker seeks... Earthly values and riches, not eternal. For the restless laborers, work has become an idol. Work has become their identity. So characteristics of the idolatrous worker, workaholic. Work is their God. Success is their purpose. Nothing is ever enough. Their personal success focused focus primarily on personal recognition and self-gain, advancement, pursuing their own agendas, and so on. They leave a wake of destruction behind them. Their families are disconnected and or dysfunctional. People who work with them or for them, people who work with them or for them are miserable, leave quickly, they have low meaningful impact, Their metrics are measured on a spreadsheet instead of by the word of God. There's such a profound difference between the person who works to earn security and identity and the person who works from a wellspring and establishment of identity and security found only in Jesus Christ. For the idolatrous worker, they worship their success and their efforts. So we're going to wrap this up. Um, In conclusion, a proper biblical theology of work, work is worship, work is mission. In all domains of society, in everything that every single person sitting in this room represents, you have work to do. We have a task, and our work is our worship and our mission. This question Who are we, uh, the the question is, who are we worshiping? And what is our mission in our work? Because everybody has one. And we see from the sluggard, they avoid work for self-gain and self-pleasure. For the idolatrous worker, they work hard. They do, they've got aspects of that diligent worker. But they do it for the wrong reasons and the result of their work is a wake of destruction. The diligent worker submits their efforts before the Lord as an expression of praise and seeks to redeem their areas of influence. As we said before, whether it's your home, whether it's a vocational place, whether it's an education, whether you're a student, it doesn't matter. Um, you have influence in those areas. Yeah. And the diligent worker uses that influence to worship. Work is only good when it's exercised under God's lordship. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Those who are skilled and successful are often tempted to feel proud, take credit for what they have accomplished, and boast about what they will achieve in the future. Yet our success is totally dependent upon God's blessing. And the diligent worker knows that. A man and woman's character is demonstrated by how they approach their vocation. Our work won't save us. Hard work is not our salvation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all three say, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? And far too often, the idolatrous worker gains the whole wide world and forfeits their soul. Our work cannot save us, and we cannot earn our salvation through works and good deeds. Our measure for success cannot be defined by the metrics of this world. Our success is defined by obedience. Our success is defined by our trust and submission to King Jesus. Who you are and whose you are is more important than what you do. Because who you are and whose you are will determine what you do. Work exists for mission. It exists for worship. It exists for human flourishing and God's great glory. In the book, Work and Worship, the authors share that God does not simply mandate human work. God delights in human work. God accepts it with joy, not as mere obedience, but as worship. We have to remember whose we are. Our citizenship is in heaven. We work towards heaven. Our goal is his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But there is still practical work to do. Martin Luther once said, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. Our relationship with God is established solely by his grace in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. But then he sends us out into the world to live out our Christian faith and love and service to our neighbors. Our neighbor needs our good deeds. The world out there needs our good deeds. They need us to get to work. God has given you work to do for his glory. We are all workers in the Lord's vineyard and in the Lord's world. A wise person works not just for money, but also to glorify God by exercising dominion in God's image. We find fulfillment in pursuing our vocations with wisdom and excellence. The diligent worker also understands that God gives rest. While work is important, it's not to consume all of our time. God has blessed humanity with a weekly day of rest that we see in Genesis 2. We see it again in Exodus 20. He has made our work productive enough for us not to need to have to work every day to survive. He modeled it in how he created the world. On the seventh day, he rested. Our weekly weekly rest also reminds us of the spiritual rest we enjoy because of the finished work of Christ. It's a reminder, when it comes to salvation, we have rested from our own works and trust fully in the finished work for us. We look forward to everlasting rest and work in his presence one day in eternity. I want to close with reading a passage from Proverbs that I now see through a completely different lens. And it's one we've probably all heard, especially you ladies. Uh, I think this might be the single best piece of scripture in challenging us as a body to be faithful stewards of our opportunities that we have to glorify God through our work and see his redemptive purposes in our lives and in the lives of those we serve. So here's what I want you to do I want you to close your eyes and I want you to place yourself in the context of what you're hearing, whether that be a spouse a parent, a leader, whatever it may be. I want you to hear this as a commissioning over you to live and serve as this woman does. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find, or an excellent boss, an excellent worker She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants the vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamb does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Give her of the fruits of her hands and let her work praise her in the gates. What if we were leaders that people would say strength and dignity is their clothing? Many have done excellently, but you surpassed them all. What if we were people that outdid one another in good works, just as we see in Romans? What if we were people who were not afraid? What if we were people who dressed ourselves with strength and makes our arms strong for the labor ahead? I think we have a lot to learn from the Proverbs 31 woman for every single one of us. If we are called to multiply gospel-centered, spirit-empowered missional churches in Nairobi and beyond, then through the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of Scripture, we have some work to do. So let's go after it as diligent and wise workers. Let's go after it with this meta-narrative, this grander story, this bigger and better plan in view. Seeing our places as work, not as drudgery, and places to hate and despise and get out of as quickly as possible. What if you're the one in your place of work to bring about redemptive purposes? You could be the only one. But if we have a whole army of people who are working out our faith with fear and trembling in the workplace, I think we'll see the Great Commission come to fruition. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much um, for giving us wisdom through your word. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for giving us examples. Lord, I don't think it, it takes much for each of us just to search our own hearts and realize that we are at times the sluggard, that we at times lose heart, lose perspective of the grander purpose. Lord, at times we can be diligent. You strengthen us. You open our eyes to the grander story. You allow us to see our workplaces as a means to worship you through the redemption of people that you are calling to yourself. And Lord, at times we can be idolatrous. We can get so wrapped up in our productivity and how excellent the things that we do are that we lose sight of the one that we are serving through our work. Lord, continue to be gentle with us. But Lord, transform our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you are guiding each and every one of us, each and every day in our places of work, Lord. Whether that's being a mother in the home, whether that's running a large business, whether that's faithfully guarding in a compound, cleaning dishes, Lord, may you just saturate our hearts and minds. May our mind's attention and heart's affection and all that we do be to bring honor and glory to you and to reach the nation's with the gospel. We love you, Lord. Continue being gentle with us. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.